Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Verse 9, and we'll also read 38. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your enemies and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, only those who agree with you theologically, only those who agree with you politically, what more are you doing than others? That was the Brian Fulton translation. Do not even uh, the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, come before you um, asking that you would... Speak to us so that we can image your presence to this world and that we can look like our Father in heaven who is gracious and merciful to all. God, we have a lot of work to do in this room. We have a lot of growing up to do in this room. We confess, O Lord, we pray that you would mature us to look like Jesus. And we know that this is only done not by our power nor by our might, but by your spirit. So God, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to your sight. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and that we would remember your words, um, that I would just be an instrument of your peace today. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You guys can have a seat. There's a message... Uh, that I want you to hear loud and clear in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a message that is this, is that it matters a whole lot of how we show up as Christians in the world. It matters a big deal in how we show up. It is not enough to have vertical fortitude with God and not have horizontal fortitude with others in the Christian life. This idea that, oh, if I'm just develop this vertical relationship with God, I, I'm a, my, I'm, my fear is that we uh, buy into the lie that if we just develop our vertical relationship with God and make that the highest priority, we can treat our horizontal relationships as if it's extracurricular activity, kind of like taking pottery in school. Well... That this idea that we can, hey, if, you know, if, it's, if I cultivate my kindness with God, kindness to my neighbor is optional. Th- this is a, a reality that is not present in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a reality that 
It is a big deal to God to show up in the world as Christians, that we show up in this world as Christians. Amen? And it's a big deal that to God throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what he's doing is so radical. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called children of God. 30 seconds into my message, we're already into conflict. So blessed are the peacemakers. If we're talking about peacemakers, it is implying that there's conflict, right? If we're saying that we are to be peacemakers in this world as Christians, it implies that there's already conflict. Just so you know, as you leave this room, conflict is about to go down. Right now, as you leave this room, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, conflict is about to go down in your life. Have you ever had those mornings where you go to church and, oh, God just met me in such a powerful way, and you get in the car and you're fighting with your spouse already? You're already yelling at your kids. You're already... You know, forgot what God taught you and implying it. Conflict is about to go down. Uh, Pastor Brian Loritz talks about a couple of different types of conflict. Uh, I think animals are sometimes an easy way to understand it. There's some people that handle conflict as turtles, right? It's kind of like, just let me get back into my shell. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Con- no, conflict. No, 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 no. Then there's others of us that are kind of handle conflict as sharks, right? Sharks, I don't know if you ever noticed, but sharks can only, they can't swim backwards. They don't ever, like, do this. They're just like, ooh, conflict, ooh, let's go, let's go, fight, 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 fight. Oh, win, fight, let's conflict. Ooh, I'm going to eat this conflict up. Oh, and it's just this, this attack mode. I mean, just fins all over the place, just shark attack, right? This is the way I get when someone messes with my kids, um, is I become a shark. I'm like, you don't what did you say about my kid? I'm just like, I'm like, what, what did you say? Uh, what, what, what did the other kid do? What did the other kid do? Oh, well, you're going to talk about that kid. You got to talk about this kid. So I just automatically become, when you talk about my kids, ooh, I remember the first time, my first, the firstborn sometimes is just the most. I remember one time some kid pushed Naomi down. And I was just like, I mean, I was about to just, I was going to say choke a kid, but the Holy Spirit restrained me from saying choke a kid because that would not be a peacemaker. In Jesus' time, the context of the Sermon on the Mount, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the Jewish debate was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That was a theological debate of the time, was who is my neighbor? It was a way for the Jews to come up with a system to make their faith work. And there was a lot of people that they were discussing that weren't their neighbors. And Jesus radically flips the system. Say, flip the system. He flipped the system on its head of who was our neighbor. You go to the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan is a priest walked by and a, and, a, and a Levite walked by. And there was a man in the ditch. And none of those people showed the man in the ditch any mercy. But then a Samaritan walked by. Jesus picked the enemy to be the one who displayed the beauty and dignity of God to the Samaritan. Jesus was constantly flipping the system. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is doing something radical that's never been done before. What Jesus said was controversial, yet simple. It was something that was completely new to the Jewish people. Now, remember the context is Jesus is talking to a people that are occupied by military occupation. Uh, they, were, they were occupied by this military Roman uh, people. 
right? That were, so this, the, all these poor people were being taxed 80%. Um, they were occupied by Roman military. The Jews were, were thinking of revolting. Some of them were planning zealots, were planning revolts against the Roman Empire. Uh, this is the context in which Jesus is speaking to. Now, let me give you uh, the Sirach, which is uh, one of the Jewish books of wisdom, and their Beatitudes, so I can show you what Jesus is intentionally doing here. This was written about 200 years before Jesus' birth. And to this is the Jewish Beatitudes, or blessings. And the word blessing in the Greek was almost a word like congratulations, or peace with you, or God is on your side kind of mentality. And here's a copy of the Sirach, of the Jewish Sirach. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaimed. A man who can rejoice in his children. First of all, the person who's blessed in that culture was a man. So that's first important to note. Who can rejoice in his children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. So you're blessed if you have this, uh, you're able to arise above your enemy and make a shame and spectacle of your enemy. You are blessed. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife. And the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. Happy is the one who does not sin with the tongue. <laughs> this is, and the one who does not, who has not served an inferior. So you're blessed if you have never had to serve someone lesser than you, which already shows the system Jesus was flipping. Happy is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. So you hear a little bit of the lace, subtle attitudes of one group being better than the other. And Jesus comes and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Translation today, God would say, if you are here and you are unemployed or underemployed, if you are here and you are grieving and sad and depressed, if your marriage is failing and you have pain in your past, God is on your side. Radical. If you are here and you are down and out, if you don't have a college degree and you are someone who's been gentrified, if you have no health insurance, God is on your side. If you are here and you have had an abortion, God is going to wipe away every tear and you are blessed. Do you see the radical nature of what this would have communicated in Jesus' time? Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the poorly dressed, the overweight, the addict. Blessed are you if you come from a home of abuse. You are blessed because you are close to the kingdom of God. And one day, God will fill your life so much that you won't know where to put it all. That's what he's saying to this group. Blessed are the little ones, those who get stepped on with violence and don't fight back, use violence to respond to violence. Blessed are those who want nothing to do with war and are willing to suffer to bring a new world to bear. One day, the future will recognize these people who are most like God. Blessed are all these people because you will receive the mercy you've extended tenfold with interest one day. 
This is the radical message of Jesus. Jesus is flipping the entire system. Now, the great enemy, I think, of our faith is not some kind of new atheism. You guys hanging with me in this? Is this good news? I'm not hearing a lot of amens on these. This is not, by the way, this is not one of those sermons that gets you all riled up, all right? Um, The greatest enemy of our faith is not atheism. The greatest enemy of our faith are people who carry their faith with such certitude that they make other people who believe differently than them feel less than. That is the enemy of our faith. That is the enemy of what will destroy our faith, is that we carry this attitude of superiority. And Jesus is coming with this new framework of peacemaking instead of a world where our cultural consciousness develops a worldview that says, you know what? If someone is different from you, they are fragile and you don't treat them with humanity. You don't treat you you only see their wrongs, and this always leads to violence. Because, and not just physical, I'm not talking about physical violence. You're like, well, I don't see any physical violence. It leads to a violence of objectifying the human being. It leads to this violence of objectifying the human being in front of you. And so I want to do today is just give us this framework of Jesus of peacemaking. Uh, what does it mean to, to be a peacemaker? Now, peacemaking, number one, it always, uh, it implies conflict. Number two, peacemaking requires shalom. Say shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word where we get this idea of peace. Now, I don't want to get too much into this. It's, it's very robust. There's a picture of back in Genesis, the way God created the world was perfect. There was four relationships, God, relationship with God, our relationship with each other. Uh, our relationship with ourselves, and our relationship with the created order. And then what happened is when sin entered the world, all those relationships were broken, were, 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 were disrupted. Um, uh, I love what Cornelius Plantinga calls it, the vandalism of shalom. There's a vandalism of God's shalom, and then one day we are now promised that God is going to make all of that back to its original goodness. He's going to restore everything. Our relationships with each other, our relationship with God, relationship with creation, the relationship with ourselves, back to its original goodness one day. Amen. Those are the two chapters that the church often ignores. Now, we live in the messy middle. So we live in the messy middle between those two chapters, and now it is our job to be peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, which is passive. Not peace wishers. Peacemakers, which is a very active, intentional, practical act to bring God's restoration to this earth. Jesus' job description, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, so beautiful. He has a pretty big job description. It could be summed up with one word, reconciliation. It says in Colossians 1 that he came to reconcile the entire cosmos to himself, the entire created order to himself. So now we have this picture of what is that. Now, practically, what does that look like? I think it looks like this, and I want you to hold on to this. Peacemaking means this. There is no idea above critique. And there is no person below dignity. And we have to keep these two things in mind if we're going to be peacemakers. There is no idea beyond, uh, above critique. Every idea should be able to be critiqued. And, but at the same time, where Jesus confronts the way of our world is there is no person beyond uh, below dignity. That a terrorist is redeemable. If you don't believe me, then you have to get rid of the entire New Testament, who in which Apostle Paul was a terrorist to Christians and became a believer. Now that is crazy. That is not preached well in our culture today, that a terrorist can, is, is redeemable. But it is true. And, and so we see this beauty thing that, that we, don't, we, we can critique the ideas, 
and yet every person is above dignity. Now, what that means is that people are not objects to be feared. They are mysteries to be honored. So Andrew Arndt says, I love this quote. Andrew Arndt says this, people are not problems to solve nor objects to fear. They are mysteries to be honored. And if we have that mindset in the midst of our conflict, that, we show up with Jesus' presence in the world. We show up as peacemakers. Now, we show up to be curious about the mystery that is this other divine being, no matter how much they've hurt us. Right? Now, I'm not saying don't be angry. You're going to have some anger. I, I, I can pull out some psalms where there are some prayers up in here that's like straight up like, God, take away their whole family. You're like, what? There's some, but there's a sense where sometimes we just need to, I, I'm, I can be kind of that, that more aggressive conflict person, right? The people are like, you know, Brian, you might want to think about what you want to say before you talk. I'm like, no, 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 I know what I think. I don't need to sit here and think about what I need to think. I know what I think right now, and I want to say it right now. That's what I think, so I'm going to tell you. So we've got a whole other sermon on conflict. We've done that before. We're not doing that today. But I do want to talk about how do we live in this tension in this world where we see so much chaos, social, uh, politically, religiously, uh, uh, racially, individually, theologically within the church. We see so much brokenness, so much chaos that we have failed to get this right. The church has not been the peacemakers that we are. But I love that Jesus says, blessed you are peacemakers. We may not be good peacemakers. Now, this is very key to get. You already are a peacemaker if you are a child of God. doesn't mean we're good ones, but that's, this is an important distinction. You, this is your identity. Your identity, that this beauty that, like, there's something in, the, in us that aches to get back to the Garden of Eden. There's, like, eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes says, that we have this ache to get back to the peace of the Garden of Eden in each one of us, and that is there that must be cultivated and flourished, and, and, and this is hard work. This is not going to happen by... The fruit of the Spirit doesn't happen just like this. The fruit of the Spirit, pace, peace, just uh, joy... Um, these things take maturation and cultivation, and they take time. Can someone say amen on that one? <laughs> so, uh, I need two volunteers. Two volunteers. Anybody? Here we go. All right. Susanna and Lee. I almost said Lisa. Somebody said Lisa. You guys, come on up. All right. Yes. We're going to have a little... A little volunteer action. Okay, if you guys could stand up here. So Jesus says, if someone uh, slaps you on your right cheek, so we're going to have a little battle off, so you guys get a little closer. Um, so in Jewish time, uh, you did not use your left hand. Uh, your left hand was considered dirty. Um, this is still true in many cultures today. You used your right hand primarily for everything. So uh, it says if someone slaps, uh, hits you on your right cheek. So if you guys would turn towards each other, uh, and then I want you to use your right hand to hit her on her right cheek. No, just go ahead and punch her. No, that's, that's her left. Yes. So how would you hit her on her right? Yes. There you go. Thank you. You would backhand her. She's got it down. She's done this before, people. Now, um, a backhand 
was a sign of hitting someone who you thought was inferior. This is what a master would do to a slave. And Jesus says, you know, if someone hits you on, because there's no other way to be hit on your right cheek, uh, unless you're using your left hand, which just wasn't that common. could have happened. But what he's saying is, is when someone backhands you and treats you like an inferior, so you hit, now he says, turn and give them the other cheek also. So now what this does in this moment is it creates a choice for the one who's the person that is of power and abuse right now in this moment. Sorry, Suzanne, not always, not ever, but just, just for example right now. It creates a choice. Now what it's saying is, is if you're going to hit me like an inferior, I'm not going to retaliate, but I'm not going to let you make me an inferior. I'm going to turn my other cheek so that you have to hit me like an equal. That is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's saying, if you're going to hit me, now she, that shames the person of the other side to go, now they have, the, somehow her dignity is also at the same time being restored. Not, not being restored, but an opportunity for restoration. She now can have the choice to realize, wait a minute, now I have to treat them like an equal. I have the opportunity to change and to actually recognize the dignity of this person. All right, so you guys give him a hand. Sit down. So Jesus goes further. He says, if someone takes your cloak and your, your creditor takes your cloak, it says, give them your tunic also. So Jesus is doing the same thing. He's saying, uh, this is, remember, poor society. All they had was a massive cloak usually and then an undergarment. Uh, and this cloak would have been their shelter. It would have been something they slept with uh, and slept on. Uh, it was a very big protector for, for uh, 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 mostly their biggest, probably prized garment if they were poor. He says, if someone takes that from you, he says, I want you to actually take off your tunic also and give it to them as well. So Jesus is doing the exact same thing again. He's saying, if someone's going to oppress you and take this from you, I want you to strip down naked and give them everything. Right? So what is this doing to the person who's the creditor? It is causing them to experience the shame of what they've done without any violence in return. In that time, you, to see someone naked would have been like, ah, no, no. So the, the creditor would have been like, put your clothes back on, put your clothes back on. What are you doing? And they would have experienced this moment of shame for what they've done. So Jesus is in this, this next, next verse. If you go, someone asks you to carry your, your belongings one mile, carry it two. Uh, during the time, Roman centurions, remember, occupied military time. Uh, remember, uh, years ago, we talked about Simon of Cyrene, who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. You remember that story? At that time, a Roman centurion could take anybody and force them to carry their uh, military gear for a mile. Now, there was a law set up that said you cannot make someone in poverty or someone um, that, that's Jewish or, uh, carry uh, your belongings more than one mile. And if you did, there was like small infraction. Um, there was different laws, different, different consequences, uh, slaps on the wrist, these kind of like small um, infractions for, to the Roman soldier if they made them do that. So they wouldn't do that. So it says, if someone does make you carry them one mile, which I just love. Jesus is so smart, so funny, and so passive aggressive. It's just, <laughs> it just makes my blood happy. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just something about it. It's just beautiful. He says, you know what? Just go ahead and carry it two miles. So now the Roman centurion's like freaking out. What's going to happen to me? They have a choice now. You're making the oppressor have the opportunity to recognize and restore their dignity. To go, you know what, actually, let me take that. 
And this is what he says is how we are to show up in the world, how we are to go about peacemaking. It reminds me of this beautiful story, uh, but also a harsh story, a harsh reality. Um, you know, one, one of the, 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 the major lies in our culture that makes peacemaking so hard, um, we must talk about, is just the lie of racial difference, the lie that, that one race, one ethnicity is superior to another. This is a lie from Satan himself. And, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research and studies and finding stories that have not been told. One, there's a pastor, in, I'm from Alabama, there's a pastor in Alabama who pastored the largest white church in Alabama, 3,000 people in Montgomery. He became the Baptist president in the entire state. And he had a radio program in which he adamantly, adamantly talked about the, the, uh, uh, the need for segregation and the, 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 the need to stop any kind of racial integration. Adam we talked about it on the radio program. Um, he became very popular, um, and um, when the Freedom Riders began to ride the buses to get uh, rights to be on the interstate, um, there was, you know the stories of the abuse of the Freedom Riders, I'm sure you've heard of it, um, but there's this one unique story where 1,500 people decided to pray at First Baptist Church of Ripley in Montgomery. Uh, African Americans came to pray and, and, and take care of these Freedom Riders who were being abused. Now, that preaching, along with the Ku Klux Klan and just the, the freedom now for all these white Christians and non-Christians, I don't know how many were Christian or not, but came in 2,000 people stood outside that church with, uh, with, with Madelof, am I saying that right, Madelof cocktails, bur- throwing them into the church with rocks and, and banging at the doors to knock down the walls of these church. This is the only time in American history that, you know, there's been churches burned, there's been horrible things that happened. Never, ever has there been this close of a chance of church being burned with actual people in it. It is horrific part of our history that just does not get talked about. Now, um, somehow King got word that Dr. King was there and in, in, um, the pastor, Abernathy, got word that some black uh, taxi cab drivers were going to, you know, respond back with some violence. Somehow King sneaks out of the church, finds the taxi cab drivers, talks them out of it, comes back into the church. I don't know how that happened, but I guess you have supernatural powers when you're that kind of man, but you, no, I'm just kidding, he's a person just like us, but he, he uh, what's crazy is you have these screams of violence against these other Christians from Christians, and what happens inside this church is it, the, the church begins to sing, love lifted me. So you have these screams and terrors and, and, and nightmares of screams, and then inside the church you hear, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help, love lifted me. So that's, that's the picture of what Jesus sparked that went to this civil rights movement that gets carried on today as Christians. Now, this lie, as, a, as we're talking about this, I think it's important just to say as we're on this topic of race, um, I do want to say as peacemakers um, that uh, if, you're, if you're white like me, this is something that, that we are, I think, all need to be discipled in, to be, we continue to be, uh, growing in and learning, and um, I think that there's a couple of different white people in the world, right? There's one people who say that I don't acknowledge that there's this thing going on. There's this lie of racial difference. I don't acknowledge it. I deny it. That's one type. The other person is a person who's moved beyond that to someone who sees it, and um, I think the, the, the dilemma for us right now in this time is, um, and, and Daniel Hill, who, who pastors of Chicago, has talked about this and others, but there's this idea that um, 
where white people has kind of stolen the word woke, right? Like woke, the word stay woke is a term that was developed by black people, actually used first in 1972 in a playwright. Um, but it, we've taken it, and now the problem a lot of times is, is, is white people who feel like they've been enlightened that now are treating people who are not enlightened as if they're less than, or getting in the way of the movement by thinking they know everything. <laughs> and so I just want to say that out loud that I think as uh, – someone who's white myself, is that like, we are always gonna be learning. We're never going to arrive, right? This idea that one day I'm going to arrive as if I, I've, I'm aware of things is just never gonna happen. I'm never gonna know the depths of how much this lie of racism has impacted me and shaped me. I'll never know. And I think it's human nature to want to have arrived. It's human nature to be like, oh, finally I've done it, I've arrived. You never arrive, and that, that's, a, that's a challenge for some. But we have got to carry, the, the idea of peacemaking is not the idea of like, I used to be racist, now I'm not, I've got a black friend, I'm over here. And then to be like, look at you over there, I can't believe you said this, you don't know this. It's like that is not helping anybody. It's not helping anybody. And then the idea to say, I've come over here, now let me tell you, what, people of color, what we should be doing. That's not helping anybody. Um, so we've got to, to, to I, I just pray that, that in our peace, we'd have eyes to see. We, uh, the, the prayer we need to be praying is Psalms 30, search me, O God. Is there any offensive way in me? Um, is there anything offensive in me? That's the, the Psalms 139, search me, O God. If there's anything offensive in me, show me. Show me my blind spots. That's just a little a caveat on, on, on race. But we've got to uh, deal with the sense that the reason we don't do peacemaking is we just fear difference. We fear different pe people that are different from us. Um, and it, what happens is, 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 is this is not just true racially, this is true of our theological differences, Christian differences, this is true of our, all of our differences, that we, we begin to identify with a group of people, whether politically, religiously, ethnically, and um, to be opened is a risky enterprise. I mean, you are risking your status, you're risking your sense of belonging, you're risking the chaos of loneliness if you're going to disengage with that strong identity and engage with the identity of the kingdom of God. You are going to be risking a lot of loneliness. And we fear our own injustice. And that's why, especially as, as in deal with race, is, is we fear having to hear the stories of what, our, what white people have done because it's so shameful. And then people of color, from what I've told, is they don't want to hear those stories because it's so painful. But, 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 like, but, but this idea that we can't hear these stories or we can't um, live into this is, is, is going to only cause us to fight injustice with our cultural consciousness, which is always going to be about getting revenge. It's always about going to be exacting justice. It's always going to be about using hatred and violence and, and identities uh, that are that are outside being a Christian. But the, the beauty of Christian consciousness is so much deeper that all good theology, Rowan Williams says this, all good theology should result in healing relationships. All good theology, all, whatever you believe, if it is not creating a place of healing relationships, something is wrong. Something is deeply wrong. And so um, we've got to press into this idea of peacemaking. Now, um, gosh, where to go from here now that I've talked about all this? I've kind of gotten way off track from what I thought I was going to talk about. 
Um, peacemaking is messy. To sum up all that, peacemaking is messy because our ego gets involved and we think we are the ones bringing the healing. Our egos get involved and we think we're the ones who need to exact the healing and bring the healing. And it gets super messy and it's an ongoing struggle. As Christians, we have got to grow up. And I say that like, we've got to, t- we, we, as, as white people, we've got to toughen up our skins to be able to handle listening to people's stories and, and acknowledging stories. I mean, that is the truth. As Christians, we've got to grow up to understand that no one is beyond, no one is below dignity. No one's below dignity. Now, lastly, I'll just say peacemaking is we have to recognize that there's no peacemaking without the peacemaker, Jesus. That this beatitude is not trying to give us first a thing to do. It is trying to show us a person who did it, which is Jesus. And it's showing us a person who did it, who Philippians 2, if anyone has the same mind, if anyone has the same love, if make my joy complete, that we would, we would love each other the way Jesus did and have the very same mind as Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, so that therefore God exalted him to the highest name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This kind of, yes, amen. This is the, this is the, the way of Jesus, that he humbled himself. Now, the only example I've seen of this societally is in South Africa with Desmond Tutu and Mandela. The P, it's called the Truth and Reconciliation um, Project. Now, what they did is they decided during the apartheid, they took every oppressor and they set up these courts, Truth and Reconciliation Courts. And they came and said, if you come and tell the whole truth of your oppression, you're free. <laughs> if you come and you share your whole story of what you did, you get set free. This is the movement of Jesus, of what he's saying. We are to be living and exacting out. And there's a, a story of, of, a, of a white cop uh, and comes and shares his oppressive story to how he killed this woman's family. And I don't want to get into all the gruesome details. Um, it's not about that. And the woman is sitting there looking him at the face. And she says, will you come over to my house on Sundays? I'm lonely and I don't have anybody to cook for anymore. So I want, would you come over? I'll cook for you. That's, that's shakes all of our identities in our culture politically. There's no box for that. Because that is living under the peacemaking of Jesus. Richard Harris, a friend of mine went to this conference one time. It was a reconciliation type conference a couple years ago. And this guy stands up. He goes, hi, my name's Richard Harris. He's like this, this, he's this white guy, older very non-assuming guy, and I'm the associate pastor of the historical black church in Lakeland, Florida, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, okay, that's a little weird, you know. He said, but I used to be the Grand Dragon, an imperial wizard, which I don't know where they come up with these names, the KKK, uh, of the KKK. And he was like, when I was young, they told me I was the best at hate speech, so they said you need to start looking into Bible, Bible verses so you can use the Bible narrative to, to create better hate speech, and then I began to research and read God broke my heart and changed my heart. And, 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 and now I am like fighting against racism. So God can do miraculous things. He still has power. Now, it doesn't mean we don't critique these lies, but everybody is worthy of honor and dignity. So um, as we close, um, uh, one last story. And um, band, you guys can come on up. 
Um, Jesus, uh, this picture, I just want to show you this last image of uh, Banksy, the, the, the flower thrower, right? This idea of the, the, cocktail, the model of cocktail being thrown, but instead throwing a bouquet of flowers. This is the image. You know, I, I heard a story on a podcast of an interview of this man who um, was, in, was imprisoned on, for death uh, for murder. And he uh, became a Christian in prison, uh, later came out of prison. And he says, you know, I became a Christian in prison, but I really didn't know I was a Christian until six months after prison. Wow. Six months after prison, I got jumped. And as I was jumped, I was about to rear back and kill these people. But as I did, the Holy Spirit stopped me, and I dropped my weapon. He says, that's when I knew I was a Christian. And the beauty of what God has done is we, in our brokenness, it's like God's like, there's things you deserve. But I'm giving you wholeness. I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you life. I've given you grace. I've given you mercy. I've done so many things for you. So many things for you to, make, to, to bring you peace, to bring you wholeness, so that you can have the horizontal fortitude to love your brothers and sisters who are different from you, to love your enemies. So as we close, I just I think um, nothing would be more appropriate than just a time of confession, because we are all in need of mercy, uh, all in need of mercy. A time of confession of of, of some of us. Uh, the confession doesn't sound fun, doesn't sound pretty, but all confession is is recognizing the beautiful things we need in God, that we need His love, we need His peace and His forgiveness to keep going. So let's pray as we as we close. And um, God, you you've you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And you you we pray that we need. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of been said here. For some, there may be some kind of sin in their heart uh, that they're embarrassed by or felt so much shame by. Some of you are just like, I just don't know what to do with my shame. Maybe it's shame over sin of something completely different from what we talked about today. But if we conceal our sin, we will not prosper. You look at history of those who conceal their sin and who do not prosper. But God, I pray that, um, that we create an altar, an altar of forgiveness and reconciliation. We, we, we create an altar. I think if we're going to have revival in our time, it's not going to become by studying old revivals and finding some strategy of how they did it. If we're going to have revival in our time, it's going to be an altar of repentance both to you and to each other. That There will be a, 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 a vertical revival and a horizontal revival. A revival in which we love one another with Christian love and the sacrifice of Jesus. So God, would you make, when we respond with confession, we're going to have some prayer leaders. It's, it's about sometimes creating a marker. There's power in creating a memorial. There's power in, in creating a, a marker where you stepped out and confessed so that you could receive God's mercy. That you could receive God's mercy. So some of you need to release um, someone in your life today that you've been bitter towards. Uh, you need to release them today. Some of you need to... to to forgive someone today. Some of us may need just to acknowledge um, 
that we've bought into the lie of racial difference. Some of us need to acknowledge that we've bought into the lie that our group is better than that group. God, we we come to you um, needing all of your mercy, God. Would you show us how beautiful you made us and our neighbors? May we fight for your justice and truth. May we always critique every lie against your kingdom. But may we do it with nonviolent resistance. May we do it in a way that gives dignity even to those who wrongly accuse us.